1: As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. You know what the context of that is? How willing God is to forgive and to love and to fellowship with and to have peace with anybody. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. And it's made the two groups
0: one. In today's message, Pastor Danny brings context to a popular verse that's often misquoted. All scripture needs to be read remembering that Christ died for all, all nations, all people groups, regardless of the color of their skin or the amount of money they make. God loves his children so much that he created a way for anyone to come into fellowship with him. Anytime someone tries to exclude anyone else, remember that all were made in the image of God. No one is above another. We're all God's children. Now here's Pastor Danny in the Book of Acts, Chapter 10, with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: Next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. These would have been kosher, circumcised believers like Peter. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside, found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God. Listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. At this point, Peter pulls out his sermon notes. (laughs) Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Peter now is sharing the gospel. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Folks, listen. It's a Gentile Pentecost, The exact same thing that happened to a bunch of kosher, circumcised Jews, Acts chapter two, now has happened to a bunch of unkosher, uncircumcised Gentiles, and Peter and the other kosher guys with him are astonished. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, just a few more verses. Please hang with me. Chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them after such a fantastic experience of seeing a whole room full of Gentiles get saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit and then later baptized with water, this is a stinging rebuke, stinging criticism. It sounds like something the Pharisees said time after time against Jesus and his disciples. But wait a minute, minute. these are Jesus's disciples. And while they're not Pharisees, they have some Phariseeism in their hearts, and God wants to purge it. Remember on one occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. And one of the things they were was prejudice, prejudice. Verse four, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story, and we're not gonna read that because it's just repeating what we already have read. But jump down to chapter 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections than praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now thank God for that record. God had to pound it into Peter's head, but once he learned the lesson, he never had to relearn it, right? Wrong. Wrong. Years later, Galatians chapter two, verses 11, 16, Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face because he'd hang out in fellowship with the uncircumcised Gentile believers. But when certain circumcised believers came from the Jerusalem church, he withdrew from them and would not fellowship with them. And when he misrepresented the gospel in that way, Paul said, I rebuked him publicly to his face. There's so much to learn here. So much to live out. Let's go over a few things. Religious beliefs, not based on Truth. (laughs) That's Peter's challenge. That's one of his challenges. And the others like him. I grew up being taught that it was a sin to fish on Sunday. Thank God I've been delivered. (laughs) Still hard to fish on Sunday unless I'm on vacation. Eddie Dobson was the Dean of Liberty when I first got there. Irish fella, soccer player. He was the coach of the first soccer team and everybody loved him. He's a great preacher. But in one of his messages, I'll never forget, he talked about his first pastorate in America. And how when the... People learned that he played soccer after church on Sunday. They had an issue with that. They thought playing soccer on Sunday was sin. Amazing some of the things we believe. When I first got saved, I was 19. I hung out with the youth group at the Baptist church I was a part of. I went to the youth pastor, said, I know I've graduated high school, but I don't really fit with any other group. I fit better with you guys. Can I hang out with you? And he let me for the whole summer. I did before going off to college. And on Sunday night at the time, he was doing a study. Actually, it was a a guy that he was using, they call them vinyls now. We called them records. It's amazing they've come back now. Record players, turntables. And we had the record player there and the youth group would gather around and Mike Cassidy, the youth pastor, would enter introduce the evening and and then he'd play a section of the the record uh, by Frank Garlock. Frank Garlock was the teacher. And one of the things uh, I was taught on then by Frank Garlock is the evil of syncopation, rhythm. I was a drummer. And so I was told I had to give up my drums, you know, because if I played the drums in the Baptist church or around Baptist, demons from Africa might encourage the Baptist (laughs) to want, to make the Baptist want to dance. And God forbid that the Baptist would dance. Now, I've been freed from that one, too. You say, if you're new, and we see new faces here all the time, so people will ask me, well, what's the policy at Calvary Chapel, St. Pete? What do you guys believe about dancing? Well, our policy's always been the same. We believe some can, and some can't. Because of what I was taught, when I began to play for a ministry while I was in college, and ended up having the privilege of playing for this singing group and band, and we'd go all across America, and then the summer we'd go to other countries, and we did a lot of high school assemblies, so a lot of young people come to know the Lord, but they updated the program about my third year in the ministry, and they added, with the singer's part, they added what they called choreography, but it looked like dancing to me, and I went to my leader, I went to my leader, I said, I don't know if I can continue to play drums for this ministry, because I, they're dancing. Crazy, huh? Colossians 2, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Here's the deal. We're under a new covenant, folks. And the issues in the text, which apply in so many different situations, listen, you couldn't even keep the law and the feast like God assigned them to do because there's no temple anymore. Now, I'm not saying don't celebrate the Jewish feast or anything like that, a lot of people still do. But understand, God allowed the the temple that was standing in Jesus' day to be destroyed in 70 AD and to be totally technical, they can't keep, according to the Old Testament, the things that God prescribed. We're under a new covenant, a new covenant. All those things represented and spoke of Christ, even the kosher diet. It's a physical diet that's meant to teach us spiritual lessons. Paul put it very clear. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8: food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. If you're keeping some kind of diet because of religious beliefs and you think you're more righteous because you don't eat certain things, that's just not biblical, not New Testament. You want to do it for health reasons, fine, but don't do it for religious reasons. Everything is to be received with thanksgiving, all foods are clean. Hallelujah. Every time I teach, I haven't eaten breakfast. I haven't had, didn't have much last night. And every time I teach this message, man, I'm getting hungry. I can see the lobster on the plate. <laughs> I can taste it. I don't even have any. I got to go buy some. The basis for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Just going to mention this one. We learned that from the text. Paul asks in Galatians 3, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Is it by faith or not? It's by faith. Biggie, the basis for our Righteousness. Say it with me, come on. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a gift. Did nothing to earn it, nothing to merit it, nothing to keep it. It's a gift. Paul the apostle learned this Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's in the context of him telling us that in regard to legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. And he learned that legalistic righteousness had nothing to do. He was still sinful. He learned the truth. Romans chapter four, let me just read it. Verse seven, A Psalm of David. Boy, David experienced this. David should have died under the law. Should have been killed. Should have capital punishment for his sin of adultery and murder. And he writes, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And Paul continues, is is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Women saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Before Abraham was circumcised. God says, go look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. And then he talks about one particular offspring. There's a seed coming from your offspring, a singular person, Christ. And it says Abraham believed God. He believed the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah through his lineage. And God said, because you believed in the coming Messiah, I credit you, righteousness, it's righteousness based on what the Messiah would accomplish. He would die for the sins of Abraham and the world. Circumcision was a sign of the truth. Because this is the basis for our righteousness, Faith, the gift of God, it should be the only basis for fellowship. In biblical times, there was no greater, no more unrelenting barrier between people than the one between Jew and Gentiles. Jews believed that Gentiles were created by God to fuel the fires of hell. In Herod's temple, there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews, a wall. And in Latin and Greek, common languages of the day for foreigners, they had an inscription. Josephus spoke of one particular inscription and excavations in 1871 and 1934 discovered two of these inscriptions. They say exactly the same thing. Here's what they say. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Did you catch that? They killed people because of religious prejudice, because of bigotry. They killed people. You can read about them trying to kill the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, Paul is in Jerusalem at the temple with Trophimus the Ephesian. He's an uncircumcised, unkosher Gentile. And some Jews saw Trophimus the Ephesian with the apostle Paul there at the temple, and they assumed that he had taken Trophimus into the court of the Jews beyond the wall, the barrier. Riot breaks out, and they're trying to kill the apostle Paul The only thing that saves him is the Roman army coming to rescue him. That's how serious it was, though. You know what this is? Those are known locations in the United States of hate groups. They say the last couple of years they're down from what they were in 2012 and 2012, known by the government, 1,007. There's now some 800, but they're growing again. In 1999, there were only 457, so they've grown very quickly. You know what Muslims view non-Muslims as? Infidels. U.S. Human Rights Network, a network of scores of U.S. civil rights and human rights organizations, after a lot of study, a lot of study, here's the statement they made. Discrimination permeates all aspects of life in the United States and extends to all communities of color. Some of these hate groups, especially some white supremacist groups, they actually claim to be Christians. They believe in the King James version of the Bible, really. ABC News, in their surveys recently, have discovered that even in our day, large sections of Americans self-admit to holding discriminatory viewpoints. I don't know where I got this next statement, but it's a good one. The ultimate answer to vertical and horizontal alienation is not intellectual, political, or social but spiritual. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old. My closest friend after becoming a Christian, Steve Lintner. we had absolutely nothing in common. He was tall, thin, terrible acne problem, Coke bottle, thick glasses. He parted his hair over to one side and his hair was greasy. That's all I can say, it's greasy. He graduated top of his class in a private high school. I graduated. He didn't like sports. I was a sports fanatic. We didn't like the same kind of music. We had nothing in common except Jesus. I would have never hung out with him before knowing Christ. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 57 and Isaiah 59 in the chapters there have two statements that are exactly the same. goes like this. Peace, peace to those far and near. What does it mean? God's saying no matter how far away from God you are or think you are or other people think you are, all you have to do is turn to the Lord and he'll receive you and he'll forgive you. And no matter how close you are or think you are, to those far and near, to the kosher guys like Peter, to the worst Gentiles, God's saying far, near, If you'll turn to me, I'll freely pardon you. I will forgive your sin. Do you know the context of that statement in chapter 55? It's a verse we throw out, and not wrongly so, but we use it in a different context. We don't do it in the context because it's the first, it's a couple of verses. It goes like this As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts, and my ways above your ways. You know what the context of it is? How willing God is to forgive and to love, and to fellowship with, and to have peace with anybody. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, and has made the two groups one, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There's no place for favoritism in the church. There's no place for bigotry in the church. There's no place for racism in the church. There's no place for a caste system in the church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And for one reason, one reason only. God is not proud. Thank God he is not prejudiced. Romans chapter two, God does not show favoritism. The charge Paul gives to Timothy and passed on to us I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. James 2, my brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Some of the greatest characters in the Bible had a hard time learning this. Jonah. <laughs> you remember? God calls him to go to the Ninevites to preach to them. The Ninevites are bitter enemies of Israel. They're also unkosher uncircumcised barbarians in the Jews' minds. And so Jonah hopped on the boat, headed as far away as he could, at least he tried to. He became fish bait, you know the story. Fish got sick of him, threw him up on the land. Jonah relented and said, okay, I'll go, God. And then he tells God why he doesn't want to go the first time, and he doesn't want to go now. But he tells God why he didn't go the first time. You know what he said to God? I knew you were compassionate and gracious and that you might forgive them. And Jonah didn't want God to forgive them. Because if God forgave them, then they become Jonah's spiritual brothers and sisters. And Jonah was prejudiced. (laughs) You know the amazing diversity in God's family? If we don't get the prejudice and the partiality and any bigotry out of our hearts and let God purge it, heaven's not gonna really be heaven. Now I know we'll all be changed then. I know, I understand that. Here's what John writes in Revelation, you're worthy, Lord Christ, to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. A couple chapters later, he sees this great multitude. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's heaven. That's what it's going to be like. You know, some people think we're all going to look the same. We're not all going to look the same. Not all going to be white or or red or black. There's going to be different. One verse in Revelation 22 talks about the nations bringing into the new Jerusalem, the nations coming into there. There's going to be diversity, but there's going to be absolute harmony and absolute love and absolute peace. And that's what God wants in the church. I'm praying. Others are praying with me. And it needs to be a God thing. I'm seeing it happen little by little. I want it to happen. Oh, I just want it to happen so much more. I want to see more diversity in our fellowship. I want to see more diversity in the worship teams. I want to see more diversity in the choir. I want to see all kinds of different people. That's God's heart. That we all not all look the same. We're not all the same, except that we have one Savior. That's what makes us have family. We have the same Savior. Would you pray with me that God would continue to do that and do it in just tremendous ways? Just add diversity to our church fellowship. And with that diversity, that we would learn, like God taught Peter, and these Jewish believers. The basis of our righteousness also must be the basis for our fellowship and the basis for our love for one another. Mahatma Gandhi shares in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the gospels and he seriously considered becoming a Christian. Christianity seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided people in India, his country. One Sunday, he attended church services and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. He thought, if Christians have caste systems too, I might as well remain a Hindu. Gandhi later said, and I quote, I like the New Testament. I like your Christianity, but I do not like your Christians. God help us that that never happens here. Amen?
0: Thanks for joining us today to study the Book of Acts on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, just look under the Media tab and click on Sermons. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we would love to meet you in person. So if you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, feel free to join us for our weekly church services here at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We're also live streaming our services for those who are staying at home or living further away. So please don't let proximity to our campus stop you from worshiping with us. Find out more on our website. Once more, that was ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but be sure to join Pastor Danny next time for more from the book of Acts right here on The Living Word.